Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. And one thing is for certain, from cover to cover, Old Testament and New, the Holy Bible is filled to overflowing with stories to tell and to love. Stories about God and Jesus and love and life and so much more many of which are well-known and familiar to our ears, and others, well, not so much. But even the most obscure stories found in Scripture end up saying something important about you and me as we seek to follow Jesus and learn how true faith has an impact on real life. Such is the case with one of the lesser-known stories from the New Testament, from Paul's letter to Philemon, which is the subject of today's message, which is entitled, The Right Thing to Do. His name was Bernard Larley. But to everyone in our little town, he went by the unlikely nickname of Snig. (laughs) Snig was, in fact, the the local postmaster and a stalwart member of the First Congregational Church, which was my church home in those days. And he was one of those folks who had not only been brought up in that congregation, but who over also, over the years, had ended up doing just about every job there was in that church, including, it should be pointed out here, my 10th grade Sunday school class. Now, looking back on it now, Snig must have had an awful lot of patience to be teaching at that level. After all, as I recall, there were mostly boys in that particular class, and so not only were we teenagers and as such pretty restless, but I'm also sure that the theological nuances contained in Paul's epistles were pretty much lost on us. It could not have been easy. But God bless him, Snig soldiered on. And what I will always remember about him in that class is just about every week there would come this moment when after a long while he'd just sigh a little bit. He quietly closed his teacher's manual of the Sunday school curriculum and he'd look at us for a moment and he'd simply say, Boys, let me ask you this. Is there a Christian way to go to McDonald's? Or, perhaps he'd ask, Boys, if you're a Christian, how do you sit in the bleachers at a Skank Wolverine basketball game when we're down 20 points in the last two minutes of the fourth quarter and it's the Orono Red Riots? Now, of course... At first, we'd all respond with smart-aleck comments about praying over Big Macs and for decent referees. But what was interesting is that before long, we'd inevitably find ourselves discussing these matters as though they were deep and profound questions of faith. I mean, at the time, McDonald's was a new thing in, in our area, and it was the place to go with your group or your date after movies at the K Cinema. So, knowing that, this question of Snigs also gave rise to other questions about how we related to one another as friends and as classmates, and how we treated others that 
we didn't know who, or who were outside of our social circle or who were uh, different. We'd end up talking about things like dignity and, and respect and compassion and inclusiveness and, yes, even love. And as far as basketball games were concerned, maybe good sportsmanship was important after all, after, as was our refraining from referring to the opposing team members as Orono Red Rots. <laughs> and that was one of the nicer names. You see, whether we realized it or not, what Snig was teaching us was about faith. But not faith in the doctrinal sense, per se, nor from the lofty, some might even say arrogant, perspective that oftentimes emanates from sitting in the church pew. Snig simply put out there for us how faith might actually affect our real lives, how our belief in God and in Christ Jesus could have an impact on our worldview, our relationships, and on life, just as we knew it, just as we lived it. I mean, we'd all grown up on Bible stories. From the time we were little kids in the church nursery, we all knew the story of Noah and the ark. We, we had heard about Moses bringing the Ten Commandments down from the mountains. We knew about Jesus, the little baby born in the manger of Bethlehem, ended up being the Savior who died on the cross for us. We learned all about love. We knew the golden rule. We understood, as best our 16-year-old minds could ever possibly comprehend, the presence and the power of God Almighty. But this, these questions that Snig the Postmaster was challenging us to ask ourselves, this was all about us, about our lives, about how our Christian faith was leading us to actively discern what was the right thing to do in any given circumstance? And then, how we actually go about doing it. Which leads us to our text for this morning. The Apostle Paul's own very personal letter to a friend and co-worker by the name of Philemon. First off, as we get into this, a little background. At only 25 verses, of which we read 21, and 335 Greek words, the epistle to Philemon is the shortest of Paul's letters to be found in the New Testament. Overall in the New Testament, I think the shortest honor goes to 3 John, but it's the shortest of Paul's letters. And it is certainly one of the most obscure easily missed as it's nestled there between the books of Titus and Hebrews. Truth be told, I'm guessing a lot of people don't even know this letter exists. Moreover, it is not, as is the case with most of Paul's letters, written to the members of an entire congregation or to a group of new Christians like in, in, in Galatia or in Corinth. And it's decidedly not filled with any kind of real theological discourse and the weighty doctrines as what you find in Romans and, and elsewhere. It's actually, friends, and amazingly, a lot simpler than that. It's, it's just a letter, albeit an open letter, sent from Paul to Philemon, 
who was likely, we're told, a member and leader of the church in Colossae in what is now Turkey. This, friends, was a letter written from one man to another, friend to friend. And it is a letter regarding a kind of sticky situation involving a third man by the name of Onesimus, who was a slave owned by Philemon. Now, basically, there had been some kind of falling out between master and servant. Some scholars maintain that Onesimus was a runaway slave. Others claim that perhaps Onesimus stole from Philemon or else uh, committed some other kind of transgression against him and now was on the run for fear of transgression against him or mistreason or reprisal. And so now Onesimus is with Paul. And while he's with Paul, Onesimus not only comes to faith in Jesus Christ, he's also become as a son to Paul. They've grown close as he's been there. In fact, Paul refers to him as his own heart. Paul realizes, however, that Onesimus really does need to be sent back to Philemon because as a slave, Onesimus does technically belong to Philemon. So... Got all of that, Paul decides to write this diplomatic, very flowery letter to his friend Philemon, appealing to his better nature. I appeal to you on the basis of love, he says. And most of all, speaking to his faith in Christ, as the message translates it, I keep hearing of the love and faith you have for the Master Jesus, which brims over to other Christians. And finally, asking Philemon, if he might please forgive Onesimus so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. Adding that this was what Onesimus was to him, and certainly he says he'll be more than that to you. That's the backstory. But a couple of things that should be said here. First of all, uh, we need to understand and own the fact, really, that there have been many times throughout world history, including, it should be noted, 400 years worth of American history, that this particular epistle was misinterpreted and misused as a way of sanctioning the enslavement of others, in part because of the fact that Paul in this epistle does not condemn the practice. Now, obviously, today we know better, or at least most of the world knows better. But we also need to understand, friends, that this letter and Paul's words within this letter were written in the historical context of a Greco-Roman culture in which slavery was the norm. And I didn't realize this, but of upwards of 35 to 40 percent of the populace were, in fact, slaves. And which, knowing that makes it all the more powerful and telling that Paul writes this very moving, personal letter encouraging, no urging, imploring true and loving reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus. And it's done not in the desire that maybe Philemon would drop all charges, so to speak, And it's not done as an effort to maintain the status quo, 
Rather, what's happening here is something done out of faith and Christian love and because it's the right thing to do. Now, I realize that that you and I today approach this relatively obscure bit of Scripture and it's tempting to kind of dismiss it as, as something totally out of sync, maybe even inappropriate given our more enlightened understanding of the world and of faith in this age. Though I got to say, by the same token, I am not willing to believe, as some have been saying as of late, that the ongoing and egregious sin of racism can entirely be pinned to verses like what we're reading today. It's true that this little letter of Paul to his friend Philemon comes off really a little dissonant, given its background. Frankly, it's probably the reason that this is a passage that doesn't get preached on a whole lot by people like me. But then again, if you go back and you read it again, if you were hearing, as listening as Sarah was reading it to us today, if we hear in Paul's words there his earnest plea that Onesimus not be punished but welcomed home, remember what he said, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you have welcomed me. And if you consider how Paul himself is more than willing to take on the weight for the damages or debt that Onesimus might have incurred, and assures Philemon of this by emphasizing, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Actually, you know what? I have a feeling if this were uh, texted or written online, that would have been in caps all the way. What becomes clear in this letter is Paul is doing more than just trying to smooth things over. No, he's seeking to do what's right in a difficult situation. And he's challenging his friend Philemon to do the same. Ever and always making a choice for the sake of Jesus Christ. And when you look at all these verses that way, when you look at it not only in the context Uh, of its history, but also what was actually happening there. The question being asked both of Philemon and by extension to you and me is no different, really, than asking if there's a Christian way to go to McDonald's, if there's a Christian way of going to a basketball game, if there's a Christian way of dealing with people who are different than you, who disagree with you who are taking a different pathway than you. I love what the Reverend Rick Morley, who is an Episcopal priest, frequent blogger uh, from New Jersey, I think. I love what he says about this. He writes, If you dare to take a third glance at this passage, what you'll find is faith hitting the road in the lives of real people who are dealing with real difficult issues and relationships. It's the story, he says, of three people struggling to live out of their faith and being challenged by it over and over and over again. Friends, this is what faith looks like. This is when things get real in this life. It's when the rubber meets the road, as they say. And it's when you have to make a decision solely because of what it is you believe in faith And when you're put in a position of having to explain it 
or to challenge somebody else because of it. I mean, this is what happens when you and I actually have to live out of those lessons that we all learned in Sunday school. It's about what happens once you've said amen to the pastor's Sunday sermon, had your cup of coffee, and then head back out into the real world. I mean, it's one thing, after all, is it not to hear Jesus' words of of forgiving someone 70 times 7? Quite another when it's a family member or a friend with whom you had a falling out years before. It's laudable for us to show concern for the poor and the dispossessed, to be there or to be sympathetic, at least, to the prisoner and the outcast. But what about when that prisoner, that outcast, that person who is poor or dispossessed is sitting there and looking at you? Now, I suspect that most of us, we know down deep inside just how much we might need to change about ourselves and to do so on the basis of faith. We we get that. But what happens, friends? When all of a sudden there's this situation, this person, this request of us to do by faith exactly that which has always made us feel uncomfortable. What do we do? And how's that going to affect us now and moving forward? I think that's exactly the kind of challenge that this letter Paul wrote to Philemon offers up for you and me. It is, this letter ultimately is about the day-to-day challenges of living our faith in real time and in real ways. It is discerning the right thing to do and then to actually go out and do it. It's as simple, friends, and as utterly complicated as that. Snegularly also introduced me to the concept of Sukkot religion. I have shared that with you before, I am sure. That is the many believers, that the idea that many believers have of wearing their faith like they would their Sunday clothes. Looking good on a Sunday morning, but taking it off and putting it away once the rest of the week has begun. Folks, in other words, Christianity is not meant to be relegated to a couple hours a week, but is something meant to be an integral part of every hour of every day. It is meant to be there and and provide a foundation for our work, our play. It is meant to influence our relationships with family and friends. It is meant to be the way we greet the stranger. And it is meant to move us in relating to all those who Christ loves. It is as Paul wrote to to the Colossians, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. To forgive and to bear with one another, no matter how difficult that might be at times. To seek wisdom and understanding as we walk through these days. And and to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts to which we are indeed called as one body. And whatever we do in word and deed, to do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus, 
giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, what does that mean for us? How does that unfold in our lives? Maybe it's a letter. Maybe it's a well-spoken word at the right time. Perhaps it's standing strong in the face of opposition or ridicule. But it's always being who we are. Who we were created to be. It is about being fearfully and wonderfully made. How God has created us. And how we have been redeemed through Jesus Christ. It's finding, it's discerning, and knowing the right thing to do. May the Lord in Christ lead us and bless us in that discernment today and always. And may our thanks be to God. Amen and amen. And that's the message we've entitled, The Right Thing to Do. It was recorded during our September 8th service of worship at East Congregational Church. As always, we'd love to welcome you in person at one of those services. We gather every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. We're located on 51 Mountain Road in beautiful Concord, New Hampshire. And I'd love to have a chance to greet you there. Well, that's it for another installment of Love to Tell the Story. This is Michael Lowry. I thank you for listening. And I do appreciate your support of this podcast wherever you happen to be listening. So please keep in touch. You can do that through a voice message on the podcast page, via Facebook, or an email. Let me know what you're thinking. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day. Talk to you soon.